Welcome to C3 Church Tugra. You're about to hear a great message from one of our guest speakers. Get ready to be inspired to live your best life. I was thinking this morning about, um, you saw in, in the video that, that we were invited a few months ago uh, when we were in the Punjab, which is the Sikh area of India, um, which by the way was the least reached uh, part of all of India. Everybody knew that. I've worked in India for since the 90s. And yet what happened to us about, uh, I don't know, four years ago, we went in with our partners, uh, Randeep and Anu Matthews, we went into the Punjab to begin. And he told his team and I told our team, we're not going to push too hard. We're kind of going with the long game here. Uh, we believe that gradually the Lord's going to let us take some territory. So we went into a village of about 8,000. We did our first morning's clinic. We had, as always, a prayer team. It was across the laneway, and we were just sitting around talking because there wasn't much traffic. Isn't that exciting? Hallelujah. Can I give a testimony or what? Huh? And then partway in the morning, a family brought their mother to the clinic uh, on a pallet. She was completely paralyzed. And um, they said, before we treat you, because there was a big crowd at the clinic, just have them pray. And Jesus totally and instantly healed her, which is good. That's always a good morning. But what was amazing was how fast the word went out, because in just minutes, the people started to come. And we were surrounded with twice as many people as here all day praying. I had two of our team just started to weep with all that they saw, healing after healing after healing. We went to do an outdoor meeting that night, and, and usually, you know, we got some space so people can respond. I was preaching to people who were this close to me. I've got pictures of them on the walls, about as high as that dark gray wall, standing on the walls, standing on the roof. And it began, and ever since then, we have seen explosive growth. Just from four journeys of compassion, we've seen 80,000 people baptized, discipled, and in house churches. Isn't that amazing? You can't plan on that. Nobody's that good of a strategist. Nobody's that anointed. It's that the Lord says now. This whole thing of learning to get into the rhythm of what God is doing and the favor that it comes with is, is just remarkable. I'd love to keep telling you stories, but I'm going to go on to some teaching today. I do want to say this, though. Everything, everything we talk about, everything that goes on, it really is about Him. Your revelation of the kingdom can never be bigger than your revelation of Christ. I encourage you, I encourage everyone, press into Christ like you never have. I certainly am. Press into Christ. Uh, you know what? Oh, I'm going to back up. I've got to read this passage to you. Just two verses, three verses, of what is my favorite hymn about Christ. Paul's quoting an early church hymn in Colossians chapter 1 when he says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. This is the one we worship this morning. That second song, 
I don't remember. It was in three, four, A minor. What was? What was? What was that? He, okay, sure, good. Um, it just took me to Christ, the love of Christ, the beauty of Christ, this beautiful, beautiful Savior. Isaiah 33, 17 gives us an incredible promise. Your eyes will behold the beauty of the King. And I love the miracles, and I'll tell you a few of them today. I love the miracles. I love the, the, the rescuing and the, you know, you, you saw we had 850 kids out of slavery this spring. How's that? That's just incredible. I love all of that. But, but, it's the beauty of the King. That's at the center of everything. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. Say all. For through him God created everything. Say everything. everything. Say it like you mean it. In the heavenly realms and on earth, he made the things we can see and the things we can't see. Thrones, kingdoms, rulers, authorities in the unseen world, Everything was created through him and for him. Say that. Everything was created through him and for him. Say it again. Everything was created through him and for him. He holds all creation together. Colossians 1.17. I don't even have time to share what I just shared, but I can't help it. He is the he's the center of everything you know I've been walking with him for a long time now a long time pushing getting close to 45 years and I need him more now than I ever did and that's not a preacher just giving you a nice little deal I do Christina would tell you that I need more and more time with Christ every day I press in on the mystery of Christ. You know what? I just thought of something. I think there's a slide because we wanted to give you guys a free ebook on healing from questions. Like yesterday, we did Q&A on healing. So if you just go in there while I'm talking, you can take out your phone. I know usually they say, yeah, keep your phone in your pocket. No, bring it out while I'm preaching. You just, you know, and if you want to play video games, that's okay. Um, why did I just think of that? Because I've got another one. Who is this king of glory? Who is this king of glory? This incredible mystery of Christ. So everything I share with you today comes out of that. It comes out of that. Press into him. Discover more and more the depth of Christ. You say, I don't even know where to start. Start to turn scripture into prayer. Start with John's prologue. John chapter 1, 1 to 18. St. Augustine called them the most sublime words ever penned. Start there. Go to Colossians 1, 15 to 20. Go to Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3. Paul, he calls it in chapter 3, he says, he calls about the, the unsearchable riches of the mystery of Christ. So now I'll teach you a little bit, but that's the center. He's the center, not the brick factories and the food and the salvations that are all wonderful, but they're not the center. Christ, the mystery of Christ. You know, I was telling them yesterday, <clears throat> I'm going to try to stop prefacing everything I say with yesterday I said, but in Ezekiel 47, that amazing uh, vision he has, the, the river of God flows from the temple 
By the way, John had the same vision in the last chapter of the whole Bible. But the river flows and everywhere it goes, it goes to all the foul places. The Christian Standard Bible says, I love that. It goes to the foul places. It goes to those dead places, those broken places, those hurting places. And everywhere the river flows, everything lives. There's that word again, say everything. There you go. But the other thing you might notice, remember in that vision? Remember after a thousand cubits of water's up to his ankles, then it's up to his knees, then his waist, then it's a river no one can cross. The further the river went from the church, the deeper it got. You hear me? This is the place of celebration, but that's the place of kingdom activity. All right. That went over like a pork chop at a bar mitzvah. The, the question that God has been asking me, and I've been about the kingdom of God for almost 40 years, 1982, it just started, that's where I started preaching on the kingdom, and yet he's not asking me how powerful, how effective is your gospel. He's saying how beautiful is your gospel. That's my question for us today. How beautiful is our gospel? Isaiah uh, 52, 7, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. It is a beautiful, beautiful gospel. And when I bring it, do I bring it with beauty? Do I tell them about a beautiful gospel? I was, I was in, a, in, a, in, a, in a little one-room house uh, among the gypsy people, the Roma people, a few months ago. And it was packed it was simply because I'd walked through a village and some people got saved or got healed. And then one lady said, would you come to my house tonight? I said, sure. I went back to the village, went to her little house, and there were 26 people there because she told them what had happened. And I talked to them about this beautiful gospel, how beautiful Jesus is, how we were all made for beauty. And your eyes will behold the beauty of the king. And all 26 immediately just gave their lives to Christ. And you saw a picture of baptism going on. It's, we are made for beauty. Dostoevsky said, beauty will save the world. And I believe it with all my heart. So how beautiful is our gospel? Is it good news or is it conditional good news? If you'll do this, then he'll do that. No, that's not the gospel. It's good news. I love that I get, to, I, get to see, I get to see people of every faith background, Muslim, Buddhist, Hindu, Sikh. I get to see them healed, instantly healed. Instantly healed. Why? Because it's a beautiful gospel and I never do a deal. Jesus never did a deal, did he? Leper comes to him, if you want, you can make me whole. Well, first, let me just explain the four spiritual laws. I don't think you're quite ready yet. Come to the meeting on Sunday. They'll pray for you. No. He makes this incredible exchange. It's a beautiful, beautiful gospel. And you know what? I stopped trying to convince anybody of anything. I did. I did. I've seen over 2,000 Muslims come to Christ, which isn't that many, but it's better than none. And every time, not once... Did I say, let's talk about the Quran versus the Bible. Let's talk about Christ versus, never. I just say, what do you need? 
And, when I, and I watch, and when their granddaughter can hear, or when the, when a guy's mother's blind and she can see, I say, that was Jesus. Did you like that gift? Yes. That's how beautiful he is. Oh, he's got another gift. He wants to just come be with you all the time. You, you walked into this town alone. You don't ever have to be alone again. Do you want that gift? And you know, I've had Muslims say politely, no, thank you. I'm, I'm Muslim. But I've had 2,000 say yes. And I've had five Muslims in 10 years say no, thank you. You hearing me? Because they're not made for apologetics. They're not made for us having more evidence than they do. They're made for beauty. And he is the beautiful king. Amen. <sighs> we, we started by, uh, I found out about women and children being imprisoned. Um, unjustly uh, way back uh, nine years ago and so we put it on our website and we, we compressing a story but we made arrangements and I put it up I said for $88 you can get a woman and her children out of prison and we'll pay their fine and they'll be free and people gave to that from all over and then we did it again and the second time in, in just more than a few hours they were all, we had the money for all of them to be set free. And it began a process that has ultimately led to over 7,000 prisoners being set free. Is that a beautiful gospel? You see, folks, the gospel's bigger than you thought it was. The gospel is bigger than you thought it was. I love the church. I've been a pastor. You know, I was a pastor for years and years and years. The last 11 years, I couldn't do that anymore because I just didn't have time. But, but I love the church. I love to worship. I love to encounter the Lord in A minor and 3-4, whatever that song was. But, but I love that. But I, this is the place of celebration. Can I tell you something? This gospel is too beautiful to be contained in church. And Jesus did not go to the cross just so that you would come to church for two hours every week. He paid way too big of a price for that. His love is too powerful, too complete, too beautiful. He said, come and we will celebrate. But I went to the cross so that you will bring my life, my beauty everywhere. Do you understand me? And then this is what we're made for. I'm, I discovered the kingdom. I discovered a gospel. Even as I've been a pastor for years and I discovered a bigger gospel than come to church. Come to Jesus, come to church, go to heaven. Come on. Took me a long time to figure that out. And I realized this gospel is beautiful and it's powerful wherever I am. And everybody was made for it. And it's changed everything in me. You know, it's just, I can't help what I do. I, I feel like, did I win the kingdom lottery? No, I found the treasure in the field. Remember that one? Matthew 13, 44. And over the joy of his discovery, he sold everything. I'm a crazy man. 
And I'd do it 10 times over because this gospel is so beautiful and I watch it bring life and transformation and I watch it bring life and transformation here day by day, day by day. He's so beautiful. He is so, so beautiful. I was talking quite a bit this weekend about learning how to move in the rhythm of the king. Jesus said, come follow me. And people dropped everything and they followed him. And he didn't say, come follow me and I'm going to heal your heart. He didn't say that. He didn't say, come follow me and I'll lead you to the Father. He didn't say that. He didn't even say, come follow me and you'll go to heaven. He said, come follow me. There's a job to do. I'm going to teach you how to fish for people. And it touched the deep need that is in the heart of every person for purpose, for significance, for your life to make a difference. And they followed him for that. And by the way, in the process of following him, their hearts were healed. They met the Father. He said, you're going to be with me forever. But it was this great purpose. And so we, we talked a little bit about what it means to follow him. If I'm going to follow him. By the way, he never said, I want you to sing songs about following me. He never said, I, I want you to call a prayer meeting about commitment to following Jesus. He just said, follow me. He's on the move. See, we kept people, I, I prayed for somebody this weekend. I've been praying for lots of people, but who, who it was like a, a microcosm of what I see all the time. Yeah, I want to follow him. He's, he's moving. He's going. If you're going to follow him, you got to go somewhere. And here's the rub. We like the idea of following him. But we don't really want to move. You cannot go somewhere until you leave somewhere. Ultimately, it's really painful. <laughs> Do you understand? And the word became flesh. E. Stanley Jones put it this way, the ideal became real. You see, the cornerstone of the gospel is to demonstrate the love of God, is to demonstrate the beauty of Christ, not talk about it. I have no idea how many thousands of messages I've preached in 40 years. I don't know. I don't want to know. It just make me feel older. But if preaching would do it, it would have been done. People will not remember what they hear about the love of God. By the way, that's true. That's Christian sociologists will back that up. They won't. That's why I'm not that big into apologetics and all of that. But they will never forget what they experience of the love of God. And if I was going a different direction today, I would tell you 15 minutes of stories in the Western world of people coming back to me and the pivotal point was when somebody 
demonstrated the love of God. By the way, Romans 2, 4 says it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And we think, we put it out there like we always do. Oh, it's out there. It's ethereal. Oh yeah, he is so kind and I will repent. No! The kindness of God, how does it come? It comes through you and you and you and you. It comes through demonstrations of kindness. And it's powerful because kindness is beautiful. And we were made for beauty. Is it a beautiful gospel? So when I follow him, I'm learning to move in a rhythm. By the way, when you start to follow him, stuff happens beyond what you ever thought or imagined. I promise you, not one of us in Impact Nations imagined four months ago that we would get 850 kids out of slavery. Say slavery. Did you know that there's 27 million slaves today? Did you know that? There are more slaves today than the cumulative total of the 400 years of the slave trade. What we did was we arranged to get the kids out and into school. Of course, they, their parents, their grandparents, never been educated. And part of the schooling got them a, a, a meal because all the kids, the doctors came to me and said they're all malnourished. They were eating brick dust. So we put it out there again said, here, we can rescue lives. And we were, first I was hoping for 100 kids. And then my son announced, we're hoping for 300 kids. I thought, oh, because I'm such a man of faith. 850 kids, it's $130 a child, not a year, once, to get them out, get them into school. They stay in school for 12 years. $100,000 came in from all over the world in just a few weeks. Because you see, we are made for significance. We are made for rescue. So when we do things, I, I... okay. And so in conclusion, <laughs> when, we, when we move in the rhythm of God, when we follow this beautiful Jesus on his beautiful gospel, bigger things happen than we ever thought. One time I was preaching in a church and the imam of the central mosque of the city came to me and said, would you come speak at my mosque? I said, hot dog. And I did. And I had a wonderful time. And there were people just came to Christ at the mosque. A, a young lady was behind the wall listening. I had no idea. And a year later when I came back, I found out that she'd come to Christ with the words that she heard. And she now was leading a, a movement among high school kids. She had 4,000 high school kids she was discipling after a year. Is that good? I never thought of that. I mean, I, the story goes on and on. Ultimately, it led to peoples who were uh, going to be killed by uh, Somali terrorists. Instead, the terrorists ran away. When they stopped the bus and said, throw out all the Christians, we're going to kill them. And the Muslims said, no, we're not going to do it. And they didn't know what to do, and they ran away. Those Christians and Muslims were brothers and sisters, all from the same mosque. And the imam that had heard the gospel that day came to Christ, and he started saying, if anybody wants to find out more about Jesus on Sundays, come on over. And that's where it ultimately led to. 
Do you, do you get what I'm trying to say? All I did was I just tried to tell him about Jesus. And he took that and it's multiplied and multiplied and multiplied. I had uh, one of the journeys, uh, Christina mentioned Kenya. She's got so much favor in Kenya. She and my son, the president of Kenya phones my son. The first lady of Kenya phones my wife. Me, I'm just Steve. One of the leaders did. He said, Steve, we really like you. But we love Christina and Tim. <laughs> and if you go there, you'll see what happens when we move in the rhythm of the king. Out in a slum, out just this dirty, dusty field. I thought I was going to preach, but one of our young team thought they were going to preach. So they preached. I thought, oh, that's better. I stayed out of the way. And while the preaching's going on, a couple, a retired couple, started praying for folks at the back, and the Lord started healing cataracts, one after another, after another, after another. It was just wonderful. And I went back a year later, and a church had started there because of that, and there were 2,000 every Sunday. When you move in the rhythm of the king, it is incredible. Let me just talk a little bit. Really quickly, oh my word. Guys, we released beauty yesterday. Just in a simple little way, we went out and gave some fruit away. Did you know, because I started to get the testimonies, did you know from yesterday there was salvation? Did you know that? And did you know yesterday there were healings? You knew about the healings. Also salvation, because everybody's made for beauty. It's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. Repentance does not mean tears at the altar. The word in Greek is metanoia, and it means to change your way of perceiving or thinking. Let me tell you a little bit about this king who says, come follow me. What you believe about Jesus will determine the way you live your life. Um, conversely, the way you're living your life reveals what you really believe about Jesus. I figured out a long time ago it is a lot easier for Christians to believe in Jesus than believe in what he said. Hello? I read the Gospels every day. I read the Bible Every day, I read through the Bible once a year, but I read the Gospels continuously because I learn from Paul and from Isaiah and Peter. But I'm following Jesus. I'm a disciple of Jesus. John 12, 26, he said, if anyone wants to be my disciple, anybody want to be a disciple of Jesus here? Three of you. I've really weeded out the crowd, Phil. Um, he says, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to be my disciple, you've got to follow me. And then he says, if you're going to follow me, you've got to be where I am. So who is this king? Because what we believe about him really will, I promise you that. It'll just determine the way you live your life. If you think he's religious, you'll be religious. If you think he prefers being in church, you'll prefer being in church. And on and on and on. But who is he? Who is this king of glory? Well, first of all, he's the seeking king. Luke 19, 10, the, the son of man came to seek and to save that which is lost. Read your gospels. 
He's not, he's not hanging in, around indoors. He's out there all the time, continuously everywhere, seeking out, seeking out, seeking out. He seeks the invisible ones. We talked about that yesterday. Compassion sees the invisible ones. You got invisible ones at your work. You got invisible ones on your block, I promise you. The shut-ins. You got invisible ones at your school and your college, the ones that nobody else hangs out with in the cafeteria. You got invisible ones everywhere. He sees the invisible. He's the seeking king. He says, Zacchaeus, man, come out out of the tree. He's up there because he thinks nobody wants to be with me. Nobody's going to notice me up here, but I want to see what's going on. Jesus stops and says, Zach, come on down, man. We're coming to your house for burgers. And he's saved. And he's saved. And Jesus said that. Today's salvation's come to your house. He's the seeking king. The old covenant, the old covenant, God sent prophets, and their message was come back to God. Come back to God. And it was up to the people whether they did or didn't. But in the new covenant, he's the seeking king. He goes to people. This is why I go to people. Whether it's the nations or whether when I get home, I'm going to go to the war zone in my city. Because I got to go to where people are. Secondly, he was the inviting king. And the longer I've walked with Jesus, the bigger this has become for me. Nobody ever has lived as inclusive a life as Jesus lived. He said the kingdom of heaven is like this. He says in in Matthew uh, 22 and Luke 14, he says it's like this guy who throws a big party and then he gets his his team. He says, go out and bring them in. Say, of course you come too. You're included, you're included, you're included. Out there in this town, they think they're excluded because they think I can't really come to church because whatever their list is. I got to stop drinking I got to stop this. I got to stop that. Where I am in in the poor country, some of them say to me, just, they're just so ashamed. I don't have good enough clothes to come to church. Honestly, people self-exclude all the time right here. And Jesus said, you come too. Of course you're included. Of course you're included. Of course you're included. The woman at the well, of course you're included. Luke 7, I love Luke 7, the the immoral woman, which is just a nice euphemism for a prostitute. And she comes in and she steps over all of the barriers of religion and scorn that everybody's seeing. And she doesn't care because there's something beautiful about him. And in her shame, way beyond guilt, guilt says, I did something wrong. Shame says, I am something wrong. And as she just weeps and weeps and weeps and people are looking at Jesus and he never once says, there, there, you can stop that now. No, he understands there's this incredible transaction that's going on, this exchange. And she's getting healed and healed and healed and he's including her. Jesus is the inviting king. He lived the most inclusive life that was ever lived. Gospel is always inclusive because gospel is always beautiful. With all my heart, I believe that belonging comes before believing. And we have reversed that. We try to get people to pray a prayer, to believe, to talk them into something. And if you believe like us, you can be with us. That's not the gospel. 
It's good news to everyone. That's why the kingdom is like the farmer who scatters the seed indiscriminately. Gospel is always inclusive. And whenever I'm feeling exclusive, which is lots, he reminds me, it's a beautiful gospel, son. And I always say, you come too. Yes, Lord. So he's the seeking king, he's the inviting, he's the serving king. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, give his life as a ransom for many. He's out serving, serving, serving. And so if I'm going to follow him, what do I have to do? You are a sharp guy. Got to serve, it's true. Not sing songs about serving. Oh Lord, give me a servant's heart. Oh God, I want to be humble and I want to serve you. He says, come follow me, stop singing. And that's why I need to go out. It's why when I get home, I'm going to need to go and I'll give some food away and I'll pray for people and we give clothes away. We clean out our closets all the time. Why? I'm not trying to earn points. I'm trying to follow the serving king. And it comes with grace. By that I mean his empowering presence, you see. Because the cornerstone of the cause of gospel is to demonstrate the love of God. This is, a, this is a wonderful gospel we have, and it's way bigger than we thought. It is not, come to Jesus, come to church, go to heaven. It's beauty. The beauty of God will change everything. I like the way you play. Excuse me. Oh, nice guitar. When Jesus moves, I always see rescue. I always see rescue, rescued lives, people out of prison, people wherever. I see rescue. I see rescue when I go into the war zone in my city and there's a woman named Olga who's so poor she doesn't have food, money for, enough money for food and she is full-time employed but she's very low wages. And so for us to just give her clothes so, and she sells the clothes to the people in the neighborhood and her son comes to me one day, I just give him clothes, no, no big deal. It's, what am I going to do with a shirt I haven't worn in four years, right? And he says, by the way, when my mom sells the clothes, it's how she buys food for us. I went, rescue restoration I'm all about restoration again another day I'll maybe get to come back and tell you about restoring the lives of women out of prostitution and begging and, and we've created a whole community we call it the widow's land for these abandoned women and their kids and instead of being in poverty now they live in we just gave them beautiful land and it's theirs we didn't loan it to them we didn't lease it to them. it's yours mama 
and now they have crops and they got chickens and their kids are healthy. And then we, you saw a brief picture of a school we built, that blue school, and their kids are in school. What is that? That's restoration. Restoration is what the kingdom of God is about. The ultimate message of the kingdom of God is heaven coming to earth. And we see it as, as a miracle. You know, the, the, the blind eyes are going, yes, but that's one slice. Because I read somewhere that in heaven there's no more sorrow. There's no more pain. There's no lack. There's no darkness. It's beautiful. And the gospel of the kingdom is about bringing the beauty of heaven now. Not heaven when you die. Oh, it's a beautiful gospel. It's a beautiful, beautiful gospel. couple more minutes here's an aside but it just jumped into my head and I develop it a little bit in that new book and that's not a commercial but if you want to know more it's in there one of the things that we lost a long time ago is the ch in the church is something that's talked about several times in the New Testament, hospitality. And historically, if you care, somewhere late in the 5th century, hospitality and fellowship, two distinct words, distinct concepts, began to merge. So that we think, well, I'm gonna, we're going to have Bill and Mary over from the church on Thursday. We'll have a barbecue and play some cards and we think that's hospitality. No, it isn't. That's fellowship. Fellowship's really good. But the Bible says in, in uh, for example, Paul says in Romans 12, 13, pursue hospitality. A lot of your Bibles say practice hospitality. It's a bad translation. Pursue. Be proactively hospitable. 1 Peter 4, 9 says, be hospitable even when it isn't convenient. I'm tired. I had a tough week. We're going through something with the kid. He just, just do it. In, in, uh, in Hebrews 13, 2, practice hospitality by inviting strangers into your house. And we charismatics get all excited with the second half because by doing this, some have entertained angels unawares, Right? That's good. It's good. I, you know, I like entertaining angels. But here's the real point. Bring strangers into your house. Because for me, one of the high water marks of the gospel is Matthew 25 and 25, 35. Jesus says, I was a stranger and you invited me in. I don't take Jesus to the garbage dumps and the slums. He's already there waiting for us. If we will begin to pursue hospitality, which will inconvenience us. Remember that great verse in Philippians, work out your salvation with preference and convenience. <laughs> if we will follow him because he is passionate about the rescue of every man, woman, and child. He is more passionate about that than me just watching the telly Thursday night because I'm tired. Hello? I'm not saying we always have to be out there. I'm sure not. 
but I have to go out. I have to schedule myself to go out, pursue hospitality right here in Wyong or wherever you live in the Central Coast. Pursue hospitality, like Peter says, even if it's inconvenient, be intentional. By the way, Paul said in the pastoral epistles, both in 1 Timothy and Titus, he said, if you want to be a leader in the church, you must, not I would prefer you to be, he says you must be hospitable. And that doesn't mean having people from the church over. Have them over for crying out loud. But that's fellowship. And it's really important. But we're following Jesus. I don't know where all that came from, but I suddenly thought I'd throw that out. But if you will do that, fasten your seatbelt. I'm telling you the truth. And if you guys can get a hold of you, you've got a beautiful gospel. It's beautiful at Gloria Jean's when somebody has a headache and you overhear them say that to their friend and you go say, excuse me, I heard that. Could I pray for you? And you pray, I usually say, could I pray for you for 10 seconds? Because that people don't get nervous then. They think I can survive 10 seconds of anything. <laughs> and then, oh, that pain's gone. Like we saw yesterday, several testimonies, that the pain's gone. I say, yeah, that's Jesus. Isn't that good? Wow. The cornerstone of the gospel is to demonstrate the love of God. Turn to the person next to you, look them right in the eye, say, the cornerstone of the gospel is to demonstrate the love of God. By the way, I want you to know something. Remember, this is a guy who I have taught, written, led more discipleship classes than you can shake a stick at for 40 years. And for me, at least, maybe it's a deficiency in my communication skills, but for me, people are not formed by my discipleship classes. They are formed by following Jesus. They are formed by following Jesus. And then we discover who we really are. And our gospel gets bigger. And we get bigger on the inside. And we just, it presses us into Christ. Because he is the center of everything. That's where we started. I'm going to stop now because if I don't, we'll be here till supper. And you think I'm kidding. This gospel is everything. It's everything. Let's stand Romans 8, 19 to 22 <clears throat> says that the whole of creation is groaning, waiting for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. That doesn't mean waiting for us to have great charismatic meetings. They're waiting for the beauty of the gospel. They're groaning. I have had on Multiple occasions, less than 10, but more than five, I've had people say to me out there, I never knew this. Or, I've had this a couple of times, I've been waiting for years for somebody to tell me this. Because everyone was created for beauty. And your eyes will behold the beauty of the king. 
Can I pray for you? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You are so beautiful. You are so beautiful to me. I love you, Lord, and we love you. But we love you because you first loved us, and we love you because you made us from the foundation of the world. You created us for your beauty. God, touch our hearts. Touch our hearts with your beauty. With your splendor, with your wonder. God, I'm asking that, that you begin to fill us and fill us with a beauty that cannot be contained. And Lord, I'm asking that you would let us begin to see our community, our school, our workplace, really, Lord, as you do, as created for your beauty. Lord, it's a bigger gospel. Enlarge our hearts, enlarge our spirits, enlarge our capacity for a bigger, more beautiful gospel. And so in the name of Jesus Christ, I bless you. I bless you. And I pray, let the blessing flow to you. Let it overtake you. A blessing so much bigger than our material needs. Bigger than our friendships. Bigger than anything. I bless you with his greatest gift, which is his self, his presence, his infinite love. I bless you. I say let the blessing of God flow to you, flow through you, that you'll be transformed from glory to glory and then flow from you. That this beautiful gospel just begins to flow because it's got to go somewhere. We love you, Jesus. Amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to this message. For more information on what you've just heard or how to visit us, go to c3talgra.org.au. We hope to see you at church soon.